politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for everything that matters in the way it matters at the time it matters. Here, brand new month, it is February, and it is never too late to do the right thing. It's always a brand new beginning because we could always get focused where we're not. We could always get principles where we didn't have them. Or we can continue doing the same thing. You know, never have we lived through a time where we have faced such a demonic domestic enemy, but such a distractive and degenerative fake right. As we talked about yesterday, it doesn't have to be that way. You know, you look at the left and just today, they had Capitol Police announce they're not going to arrest anyone or even look into anything. They closed the investigation on the sodomy filmed in a Senate committee hearing room. The Biden administration announced sanctions on Israeli so-called settlers. So you have Hamas people shutting down highways all across the capital, by the way, today. But they're going to sanction Jews living in their homeland. They're going to, you know, and by the way, a lot of them are American citizens. These guys are dead serious, okay? They'll lock up people singing outside an abortion clinic, praying outside an abortion clinic, people just stepping foot into the Capitol, but you film a sodomy ring in a committee hearing room, and not nothing to see here. Hamas is good. Jews living in their homeland. Peaceful people, they project violence on them. Jewish right-wingers are the most hated people alive, and that's why everyone in the world is obsessed about that tiny little corner of Judea and Samaria. That's what they're doing. But what are we doing? What are we doing? You know, at the same time this is going on, DeSantis won his lawsuit against Disney, the biggest employer in the entire state. This is the albatross around red states. They're too scared to stand up to the special interests. He did, and now... The court dismissed their final lawsuit, and he won. And it's funny that all of the people from Trump to Vivek to Nikki Haley that were trashing him, now they're quiet. Oh, and then today he announced he's sending another thousand, both national and state guard, to the border. They've already apprehended 150,000 people. That's just the Florida um, officials alone. And, and again, they could do more if Greg Abbott would allow them to do more, um, but he's kind of limited in what he can do there. What DeSantis has shown in Florida, taking the third largest state, pretty diverse, lots of um, suburban areas, but certainly a lot of urban areas, and made it a red state beacon, you know, still things we got to do there, but light years ahead of everyone else, that shows that for years we've been living a farce. I have a lot of friends, there's this new pseudo-intellectualism that's like, well, Daniel, this is just the way it is, and the people want that, and we need to give the people what they want. And, and, and they're all kind of, you know, looking under the couch, ripping their hair out, trying to figure out, what, what do we do? Do we have a civil war? Do we uh, attack Taylor Swift? What do we do? We don't know. And the funny thing is, it's the blind leading the blind. We're just groping in the dark, but... We haven't tried the one obvious thing. So, you know, you have one team on the on the playing field, football team, running up the score. Okay, like we talked about, everything. Good is evil, criminal is victim, terrorist is, is peaceful, and peaceful person is a terrorist. I mean, this administration, up and down, inflation, invasion, indoctrination, you name it, they'll do it. Federal, the blue areas, they control it, they do it. And then you have another team that's obsessing with cheerleaders and the concession stands and the music. And like, dance, it's not working. Let's turn the music up louder. Let's get better food. Let's get prettier cheerleaders. And they try that. Like, duh, I don't know what to do. Maybe we just need to like set off a bomb or something. How about getting a team on the field? Maybe if we try that, I mean, again, I'm as red-pilled as possible. I think what the left has done to us 
is a million times greater than 1776, it warrants anything. I'm, I'm all game. Anything that would allow us to evacuate from that in some corner of the country and, and live out our lives in concert with our values, I'm all for that. There's nothing too dramatic relative to what they're doing. But my point is, when you haven't tried, and, and I know this is very novel, actually having a movement of organizations and media that focuses on the issues that matter in the way they matter at the time they matter, that no Republican could raise their head above water federally and certainly in a red state, pushing things against our values. And if you would have done that over time, either they would do your bidding or you would have a new party or you'd have better people. That's what DeSantis shows in Florida. The fact that we have Republicans far to the left of Nikki Haley still running almost every position of power in red states. The fact that we have congressional Republicans that betray us every second is because we're not focused on it. You know, just like last night, they screwed us. Sometimes the biggest things like the CARES Act, the biggest civilization things, they pass under suspension. No one even focused on it. I, I wrote a whole piece on it. Imagine if we had a whole movement opposing the tax bill. They wouldn't have passed it. They passed it overnight. And now, because they had one bed bill, in order to pass one bad tax bill, they have to pass another bad tax bill. So I'll get to that in a moment. But the point is, if we actually had a bunch of serious people that didn't have baggage, didn't have moral problems, didn't have incoherent problems, presented themselves well, and saw it through, I could promise you we would have 22 to 25 states like Florida, but really much better because DeSantis himself would be better if he had allies and competition. And then, you know what? Just maybe, maybe you'd actually be able to win the 50-yard line, win the swing states, and win nationally as well on some level. And part of the reason why we've lost Pennsylvania and Michigan, and Wisconsin, and Arizona, and Georgia, is because when we actually had the control, we didn't fortify the elections, and the early voting, and the ballot harvesting, and then just, in general, doing good by the people in a way that swing voters and suburban voters would think, man, maybe I don't agree with you 100% on abortion, but I see you care about the people, so I'm going to vote for you. That's what we saw in Florida. That's what we saw in Florida. Again, I don't want to hear these excuses. Well, Daniel, it's the Dobbs opinion. Well, that didn't affect DeSantis. How come he won Palm Beach County? How come he won the Orlando, Jacksonville, and Tampa suburbs? Overwhelmingly, by the way. If that were true. In a vacuum, yeah, Dobbs is an albatross when you have a horrible party that does nothing else good and all the people pushing it are a bunch of degenerates who are committing adultery themselves embodied through people like Donald Trump and Christy Nome. Well, yeah, then, I mean, obviously, it's not going to resonate and then that will become a losing issue because you have no other narrative. It doesn't have to be this way. If you actually focused on the issues, it would change. But we don't have anyone occupying that space. We have the left doing it. I, I say this all the time. I would go to subcommittee hearings on a random issue within a deep red state. And the left had their representatives down there. Their people, their special interest groups. They testified. They fought it. We wouldn't have anyone, even in a red state. Forget about a swing state, blue state. They ha that, that's called a movement. I know it's a novel idea, but you have you know, people focusing on Congress, on the red state legislatures, on the primaries, and every bad bill that is on the horizon gets zapped and focused on, and every good bill gets promoted, 
and every good candidate gets promoted, and every bad Republican gets zapped, you'd be surprised what you can do. I don't want to hear this helplessness. You know, the reason why we're, we have people to the left of Nikki Haley running Wyoming, Montana, Idaho, and South Dakota, North Dakota, whatever, and Alabama and Texas legislature is not because of voter fraud, okay? That's because we suck, and we didn't even get on the playing field. And again, a a big part of the reason why we have the voter fraud at a federal level in some of the important swing states is because of the CARES Act. And and just before that, we didn't have a movement focusing on those issues, just like we didn't have a movement really focused on the culture and limited government. It was fake. So a political article out now that uh, all these Southern Republican states are embracing Obamacare. Yeah, I mean, that's that's how it is. That's how it's going to be. But what DeSantis is showing, and this is why everyone hates him and resents him, he exposed the deep state of the right. We didn't even try. We don't have such a movement. We have the blind leading the blind. We have the people with the biggest followings or the most influential that are dumb as mud so they can't analyze a bill. They don't even know what they believe in. And this is how we had what we had last night. So. Last night, Republicans bring the biggest change to the tax code, plus a bunch of other spending and welfare. It's worth, it's scored as $80 billion, but it's, it's BS because there's fake offsets as they always do. And then the changes that they make, like the refundable child tax credit welfare, is going to be for only three years, but once you pass this, it's going to be forever. So it's it's really much more. Every time they're like, oh, there's too much spending, and then not only won't they do anything to cut spending, the only bills they do pass increase spending. They do this every Congress that Republicans control. You have this sudden bipartisan bill amidst all the fake WWE acrimony, and just like that, like butter, Now, I don't expect you to be monitoring the House floor every second, but I expect to have some percentage of people who say, I'm a conservative movement MAGA person full time to be on top of this stuff and raise awareness, but they didn't feel enough pressure. So more Democrats, again, another bill with the GOP Congress, more Democrats than Republicans, every major bill. And by the way, Johnson is worse than McCarthy. There's not a single major bill that he didn't bring up under the suspension calendar. Expedited, limited debate. These are the. This is the process through which you bring up something like a naming of a post office. So before we get into it, it, it just the the pure um, the magnitude of the bill. You know, you'd want to debate it. But anyway. It's typical, typical Republican uniparty bill, where basically they exchange welfare for limited tax cuts, you know, corporate business tax cuts, that on net is not worth the trade, will make it harder for us to have leverage to extend the better provisions of the Trump tax cuts when they expire in 2025, and more broadly, it's typical Republican imbalance, where it's kind of like we say with abortion, where you focus on abortion to the gates of hell, but you don't focus on the broader culture and other issues. So then you just kind of get nothing. It's the same thing with taxes. They focus on taxes so much that we're now at the point. So so let's go through it. Let's go through the bad and then what they got in return and why that's not really much in return. So you have the child tax credit, $1,000 per child, and it was refundable since the, you know, we started refundable tax credits since 1975. For those of you who don't know, what that means is that even if normally a credit means I have a $20,000 tax liability and I get a couple thousand dollars in tax credits, so now I have a $17,000 tax liability. What refundable means is that it can more than zero out your tax liability. So we have the additional child tax credit, and we have the earned income tax credit, that you have below a certain income, what winds up happening is that it more than zeroes out your tax liability. It could potentially, and there's there's a certain percentage 
that it does that with, I believe as of 2019, that number might have been 17% of all tax filers either have zero or negative tax liability. Um, and yeah, so that's that's where we are. And, and, and so much so that it could even zero out your payroll tax liability. Um, in 2021, 57% of households paid no federal income tax. And 19% had zero payroll tax liability. Now, since then, that was some of the COVID handouts. It's it's you know probably went back to more like 48%. But the point is, we don't need to we don't need more people having zero negative tax liability. That's not the issue. Now, when Milton Friedman first proposed the idea, the idea was to replace welfare. Okay, replace welfare. So we're like, okay, you have a negative tax liability, but that's all we have. So by definition, you're working. You're, you're, you know, that that's a built-in working because you have a, um, a tax return. And okay, fine, great. But what we wound up doing was tethering it to both, massively expanding welfare, and then massively expanding the child tax credit. So as part of the Trump tax cuts, they increased it to, um. 2000, they doubled it and they allowed up to 1600 as of this year adjusted to inflation being refundable. So you can make money up to 1600 on it if you have no tax liability and, you know, up to 2000 to reduce it. So what they said is, uh, so basically what happened was the, the tax cuts are slated to expire at the end of 2025, but a couple of the business tax deductions that were part of the Trump tax cuts already expired last uh, 2022. So that's uh, the re- the R and D research uh, credit, the um, you know certain certain deductions for int- interest payments, interest expenses for corporations, and then um, bonus depreciation on on hardware and different uh, different assets of of a company. And so they they expired. And Republicans wanted to extend them, but Democrats said, no, 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 we need to expand the additional child tax credit. So basically, they agreed to expand it to grow it with inflation up to 2500 in in three years, and then up to 2000 being refundable. And then, as a lot of you might have seen, they didn't even secure from the Dems to at least bar illegal aliens from getting them, because they do get the additional child tax credit. Um, officially, they don't get the earned income tax credit, but they don't have to give a social security number. They give a tax identification number, and it's done out in the open. And they didn't fix that loophole, and obviously now it's going to be used even more with all the illegals in the country. So they didn't even get that in return. Moreover, it has a bunch of spending in it, a um, bunch of different things. It has this stupid low-income housing tax credit that they grew by 12.5%, basically the classic social fiscal policy we hate where the feds funnel money to local special interest land developers and banks to float projects that aren't otherwise economical um, and and often screw up neighborhoods with Section 8 housing type of thing. So they threw that in. Bunch of spending too. Okay. What did they get in return? They got, like I said, mainly those three things um, for another three years the bonus depreciation, interest uh, deduction, and uh, and research and development uh, uh, tax credit. Um, so, folks, look. Obviously, it's not it's not a fair trade, especially now that the deficit is a bigger issue than taxes. I, I did a whole piece on this called "Low Tax Socialism." So, when you have government creating monopolies. You have the COVID stuff where we basically destroyed small businesses and gave it all to the large corporations where the S&P 500 is now influenced by 810 companies. It, it it harms our freedom. Now, I'm not saying that, okay, I suddenly support raising taxes on big corporations just because we don't like their values. But what I am saying is I don't think this is what should be our priority. The bigger harm to the economy, to economic growth, to individual solvency, you know, for individual households, low income and middle income is inflation. It's the regulatory state. It's the energy policies. It's the monopolies. It's a lack of choice and competition and good products and services and choices. That's the problem. They don't pay taxes. 
That's what we did. We focused so much on that, so we succeeded. And in some ways, we kind of harmed ourselves because you have a good number of voters that don't feel the pain. Some ways, if we're going to have socialism, have high-tax socialism. Low-tax socialism allows government to print money, grow the Leviathan, destroy our values, destroy our economy, distort our economy with the Federal Reserve and with this just regulatory scheme, but without facing the blowback from the people that they have to own it. So I'm not even, to me, like, textbook-wise, I agree that they're pro-growth to have these business tax deductions. They're sound policy. But in the political environment we're in, I actually don't think absent broader fiscal reforms to restore a free market, they'll do much. And you're actually helping the corporations that are against us on every other fiscal and social issue, but they want this one thing and we give it to them for free. No, I'd make them sweat. You know what? Maybe we'll shoot the hostage. We'll allow them to expire. You're going to work with us on other things. And that's in a vacuum, but certainly to expand all the welfare. But again, they do it do it through the front door. Okay, here's where we are on this. So now, but the rhinos from the blue states, they had their own issues with the bill. It's not really with the bill, but they wanted to hijack the bill to rectify something that they didn't like about the Trump tax cuts. One of the things the Trump tax cuts did by lowering rates and taking out some deductions is they took away what's called SALT. It's an acronym for state and local tax deduction, where basically you get a, a deduction off your federal taxes um, commensurate with what you pay in you know state real estate, real estate taxes, income taxes. And th- the problem with it is it, it created a perverse incentive. It allowed blue states to continuously raise their taxes, you know, New York, New Jersey, California, without suffering blowback because the feds would come in at, at the back end and, uh, you know, cushion the fall for people and take it off the the, the, the federal part. But, but why should that have to be scored against us in terms of the deficit when it's a blue state problem? Now, look, I understand you want to still have, you know, Republicans in blue states. There are red districts in blue states, but even swing districts. I get it. You want to elect people, but give them something good to come home with aside from that. And you won't feel that you have to pander on, on that one issue. But this is the only thing we're doing. So they're like, so so anyway, the, the Trump tax cuts limited. It used to be um, unlimited under a certain income and, and he capped it to 10,000. And, you know, you get a lot of these places where it is uh, um, a lot more than that. So they want to double it for married couples to 20000 So Johnson said, if you go and you support this bill, I'll give you another bill that will give basically a handout to blue states to raise more taxes. So now that's going to pass. We'll see when that comes up. They're voting on the rule today out of Rules Committee. So... To pass one stupid bill, we pass have to pass another stupid one, and this is where we are. But we have no movement in place to focus on this, so this is what we're going to get. And this is how it is. And look, there's a lot more to say on tax policy, but it's just so dumb. But we have no movement on policy and media focusing on this stuff. That's how we we have it. Even a lot of my colleagues that now use the jargon, globalist, rhino, uniparty, but they're part of the problem. They're part of this fake black pill, except for Trump, that they're white-pilled on, rather than like, well, actually, if you got on the playing field, you'd be surprised what you can do and the influence you could wield over the Republican Party and how quickly you could change it if you want. But instead, there was an embargo on DeSantis and now we're elevating rhinos for, for all these offices who support uh, Trump. So, yeah, I mean, then I guess we have no choices. But don't tell me, don't lie to me and tell me it has to be this way. So now what happens is the Democrats like the welfare part of the tax cuts, but they don't want the pro-growth parts. So now they gave the Democrats the biggest thing they wanted. So now, inevitably, when Republicans likely do not have the presidency and would hope to have one body of Congress to negotiate, when the tax cuts all expire in 2025, now they have no leverage. They got barely anything, and I would argue in the scheme of things, 
politically, I'd almost not want to give the corporations that. I just don't think it's worth it at this point. And then also, you know, Santa Claus. Now people get, you know, a bunch of more handouts. And by the way, I say this as someone who personally, in my current state of life, would would dramatically benefit. Now, I don't get the refundable part because I, I do have a positive tax liability, but it would lower my tax liability, increasing it, you know, more than 2000 per child. I have four dependents. I, I and, and I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm below the income threshold um, where it phases out. And then also, I live in Maryland, so under their bill to to double the 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 salt deduction, I would probably then be able to itemize now rather than the standard, which would be what what is that like around twenty eight thousand. So between that and charity, it would take me over that, and I would benefit with itemizing over the standard, which obviously was dramatically raised in the Trump tax cuts. I would personally benefit from this. It's just stupid. Even Chuck Grassley, he said, I think passing a tax bill that makes the president look good may allow checks before the election means that Biden could be reelected and then we won't extend the 2017 tax bill. He's actually right on that. It's just stupid on net. But but stupid is as stupid does. Taylor Swift. By the way, they had another bill, classic Republican bill. It passed with the exception of two Democrats, um, like Tlaib, who voted against it to bar Hamas members and other terrorists involved in the October 7th attack from entering the U.S. It's like, really? Okay, how many people are relevant that participated in the attack? How about we bar people who subscribe to Sharia law? Like, that's such a distraction. It's so weird. These are the type of things they do. We have no movement. But what DeSantis is showing is it doesn't have to be this way. You know, another thing, that, let me give you an example. We talked a lot about South Dakota. Christy Nome is holding, a, 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 she's giving a speech to a, a joint session of the legislature to brief them on her border trip. By the way, I heard some interesting things about her from my contacts there. It was the typical, almost like a movie caricature of a sleazy politician. Excuse me, I need a photo op here. You know, making Texas Guard and DPS walk around with her a, a disgrace. And she's going to brief them on the border. Okay, I, you know, I have news for you. South Dakota is a sovereign state. and might not be a border state, but they have a lot of meatpacking plants. They have a lot of agriculture that hires a lot of illegals. Hey, Christy. You don't need to have a photo op at, at, at the border and and yell about Joe Biden. You know what you can do? You could pass mandatory verify. You could criminalize illegal trafficking in the state to, to, to transport illegals in the state like DeSantis did. Okay, you could publish information on legal alien crime, which does occur there because of the ag sector. You could cut off bennies to illegals. There's a lot you could actually do on that issue. But she'll never propose it because she supports it because all of her special interests support it. This is this is the this is the next level of politics that we take you here at Sierra Podcast. I we we look through this stuff Be, because we've had a low IQ loser dumb jock, basically just a bunch of DJs running conservative media for years, and it's gotten even worse. This is why we are. And they're like, oh no, Daniel, we got to like a civil war. There's one thing we never tried. Or a lot of them are like, you know, conservatism is stupid. It didn't work. Now, the whole definition of what is it is it has become a loaded term and can't, it's not even worth using it at this point. But my point is, we've never tried conservatism we it's like either you have a bunch of rhinos or you have trump who is a rhino and has a horrible image well daniel the left is gonna fight you no matter what yeah i know that but it it does matter to come before the suburban voters with your best foot rather than your worst foot okay if you had desantis as the model of the party in every red state and nationally what would it look like? Well, I'll tell you, your brain couldn't imagine what Red America would look like. 
and the synergistic effect of that contrast would likely bleed over into the swing states and we'd be able to chip away at that even with the voter fraud. Because remember, there's a margin. They don't lose every election. Okay? You know, did they lose the Virginia legislative elections and the Kentucky governor's election and the Wisconsin Supreme Court election due to voter fraud? No. They lost it because of a combination of suburban voters are crushing us and, um, you know, just the fact that they've set up an early voting ballot harvesting apparatus that we've refused to match because we're dysfunctional. Doesn't have to be this way. Just remember that. It doesn't have to be this way. And, 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 and like, here's the thing. Nobody has an answer for me on suburban voters. Imagine if you had DeSantis's image and the way he communicates that he sounds like he cares about the people. It's not about him. See, if you walk in front of the people with that sort of image and a, a, a psychopath and narcissistic, you can't look at me and tell me, well, it's all the white Karens that are transing their kids. That's not what every suburban white voter is. Those are the core Democrat base. Suburbs are everything, right? The the rural areas are almost predominantly very conservative. The um, uh, urban areas are almost predominantly very liberal. Suburbs have everything. It, it, it comes out in the middle just because you have very liberal suburbs. You have very conservative suburbs. You have mixed suburbs. And then you have legitimately homogeneously moderate centrist suburbs. So it all kind of comes together. It's it, Elections are won or lost in the margins. You know, we're not talking about the white women that are still wearing a mask transiting their kids. There's plenty of people that the message on the border and crime and inflation, right, and and just all this demonic anarcho-tyranny from the left, if we actually had an image that wasn't Mitch McConnell or Donald Trump, could actually bleed through. You know, you, you look at the midterms. This is very important because the midterms is where you would really run up the score when a Democrat, an unpopular Dem, is in the White House. We all thought in 2010-2014, Republicans crushed it. And Obama was much more well-liked by the Democrat base. He was more articulate, charismatic, and the inflation was worse than it ever was this time. So certainly it should be even greater than 2010-2014. And then we basically lost. It was a draw in the House. We lost the Senate seat. And we got slaughtered in critical swing state governorships and legislatures. What gives? What gives? And we have the raw data. And and, and this has been continuing every election. In 2010, Republicans won whites by 24 and suburbs by 12. In 2014, it was a similar margin. But in 2022, Republicans won whites by only 18, so that's down six, and suburbs by just six. Just six. And that's in a midterm. You can imagine the presidential, it's going to get worse because there's more Dem turnout. It's more even. And when you get crushed with non-whites, you can't afford to bleed that. They're like, no, we're winning non-whites. Um, actually, Republicans did just one point better with blacks in 2022 than they did in 2014. That ain't going to cut it. Now, they did add maybe five to six points, cut five to six points into the Dem margin of Hispanics relative to 2014. But again, to the extent we're seeing that, most of that was due to um, the Texas, Rio Grande Valley, and Florida, where we, we were winning anyway, or sometimes like Lee Zeldin overperforming in New York City or a couple of urban areas, we did one or two points better with the black vote. But, you know, so instead of losing by by 30, you lose by 28. But the point is, in the critical areas that get you a House majority, a Senate majority, and a presidential win, in those suburbs, in Phoenix, in Atlanta, the suburbs of, of Milwaukee, the suburbs of Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, we're, we're, we're getting crushed. And that's, you know, so whatever very small incremental gain among blacks and Hispanics are not a factor. It doesn't, it, it doesn't efficiently utilize the map for us. 
It's not an even trade. First of all, it's not even because we're 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 losing more whites than we're gaining minorities. But even if it were even, it still wouldn't be even because it's not efficient. So the bros be flipping ain't gonna cut it, buddy. And by the way, that's how we were able to win 247 house seats in 2014 and put even more on in in contention. And now we could barely win a majority and. You know, for every few that maybe we could challenge them incumbents to gain a few more, we have a bunch on the chopping block. And the reason is because the suburbs, we've lost those suburbs. So the the, the Trump sort of the lowest common denominator of the existing retarded GOP establishment and Trump. And mind you, Trump is he elevated McCarthy. He elevated Johnson. He elevated Mitch McConnell until it got personal. And he's elevating all these guys, so I don't want to hear. They're all one. So you lose us the suburbs. So we can't win a national election. Can't, you know, ever increasingly more states being thrown into the Democrat column. By the way, that's also why the Democrats used to only have five, um, five trifectas. Because they were confined to inner cities. And districts spread out. So even in blue cities, often Republicans at least had one chamber, blue blue states, one chamber of the legislature. They went from 5 to 17. Oh, fine, Daniel, now we're losing the math. But the least we can do is take the core red states. No, but we're not focusing on that either. So don't tell me it has to be this way. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Now, the presidential primary is over. It is what it is. I can't do anything about the image that we have to those voters, but at least let's run up the score in red states. And that leads me to our next guest for the end of the show. I'm going to start to go through our Meet the Candidates series. The primaries are just upon us. You know, literally the first ones are early uh, March, um, going through, through August. It's right here. Why am I the only one around trying to do this, trying to focus on just where there's somewhat of a chance, whether it's an incumbent, more often an open seat, in red states, okay? So in the hierarchy of all of the offices that you could run for, as you well know, there is one that stands above all of them, and that is governor. And that's why I'm going to prioritize governorships. Now, the problem is we don't have too many opportunities this cycle. Uh, we tried last cycle and we really, we, we supported at least four candidates in deep red states. And unfortunately, uh, certain prominent endorsements at the top uh, tend to harm us. And, uh, you know, hopefully that won't continue this cycle. But the question everyone should be asking is, why do we not have 20 to 25 DeSantis's? Why is there only one? We can't affect Washington. It's almost irremediably broken. Um, the election is going to be what it is. You know, it's it's going to be a tough, tough one. We have to prepare that at least in the red states, we make that a po- political kill zone perimeter for something that negates our values. And that's Madison's original design. We have that ability. Yet it doesn't happen. Why doesn't it happen? It doesn't happen because we have governors and state legislative leaders in GOP supermajority states who are honestly, and and I am not exaggerating, they are demonstratively to the left of Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley looks like Jesse Helms compared to to, to these people. And we're not going to change anything if we sleep through the primaries. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to kick off our Meet the Candidates series. We've already had some House candidates on earlier. um, But I believe that what might possibly be the only and certainly the best chance to get another star in for governor of a red state is in Missouri. We got State Senator Bill Eigel with us today. Now, if you remember last week, we had his colleague on, Denny Hoskins, who was one of the members who was kicked off a committee for actually trying to, you know, like only pass conservative bills and not liberal bills in a supermajority Republican state. Well, anyway, Bill Eigel has been in the state Senate since 2017. He's from St. Charles County, just, just west of St. Louis, founding member of the Freedom Caucus. He's an Air Force veteran, served in Afghanistan. He's retired as a captain. And now, here's the kicker. 
now that we have these state freedom caucuses, not only are we finally getting some representation, you know, in our own home field, but also a bench of people to run for governor. And I actually have some in mind that are going to run in two years from now. But Bill is throwing his hat in the ring and running for governor it is an open seat. And he is our only shot to get a conservative in for governor. You can follow him at Bill Eigel, E-I-G-E-L, um, on Twitter. And BillEigel.com is his campaign website. And he's here with us today from the chamber itself in Jefferson City. Hey, Senator, thanks so much for joining us here at Blaze Media. Hey, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. All right. So you heard me talk a lot there. You get a sense of what we're focused on here. Um, before I get to your governor's run, just give us a brief synopsis of where things stand with the standoff over, you know, you guys are like, okay, this is a red state. Why are we allowing the left to have all these abortion initiatives to put abortion in the Constitution? Let's make it harder to get that on the ballot. Leadership refuses to cooperate. You let a 16-hour filibuster Tuesday night. A bunch of people came. A couple hundred supporters came out to support you. Talk about where things stand since you've been kicked off your committee assignment. Yes, ab- absolutely. So uh, as most folks are aware, just like you said, we have been pushing uh, back against our own Senate leadership and slowing things down in the Senate chamber with the goal of advancing a reform of our ballot initiative uh, petition process, which right now is being hijacked by some pro-abortion forces who are trying to install abortion into the Missouri Constitution in the very same way that they did in Ohio a few months ago, and they're trying to do in many states across the country. So we want to protect our Constitution. We want to protect uh, the first in the nation uh, pro-life bill that actually ended abortion when Roe versus uh, Wade was overturned uh, a couple of years back. And and we're proud of we're proud of what we did. We want to make sure that the, we reform our ballot initiative petition process so it doesn't get hijacked. Well, as a result of all the filibustering, as a result of all the slowing that we have now seen, and I can I can share with your audience today that the ballot petition initiative reform bill has moved all the way through the process to the point where we expect it to come up for its Senate floor debate next week. And it has happened in a period of 96 legislative hours. So in just four days, the bill, which was at the starting blocks last Thursday, is actually has gone through the entire committee process and been sent back to the Senate floor and is ready for floor debate as soon as we start next week. There has never been a major Republican priority that has moved with such lightning speed through the process (laughs) as we've seen the initiative petition reform bill last week. And it's because a few senators, not a majority of the Republican caucus, certainly not a majority of the chamber, just a few senators were willing to stand up and make what, what we always talk about, the swamp, the status quo. We made them so uncomfortable that they had no choice because the public was on our side. The public, yes. The public, and that's the, that's the key thing. The public came out. Uh, they're supporting us, and the right the right issue is moving. I mean, that is music to my ears, because this is what I'm trying to tell my colleagues and my, my listeners, that stop with the black pill. We need the red pill. Stop with this mm-hmm. notion that there's nothing we can do. Everything is rigged. Everything is stolen. Um, you know, we need a civil war. You know, I'm not going to comment on, you know, the federal election. I think we all understand there's problems. But reds, the reason why we're losing red states is not because the elections in red states, the primaries are rigged. It's because my colleagues in conservative media do not focus on the on their own sphere of influence that if you actually allured the the sentiment of the majority of the public in red states upon the system, you would either pressure them or swap out new Republicans that are better in primaries. But, you know, we kind of like, oh, okay, we have a bunch of red states. Let's focus on Congress. Let's focus on Taylor Swift. But no, we don't have red states and we don't have super majorities, but we can make them super majorities if, you know, people like you got on the field. And, And that's why kudos to the Freedom Caucus movement, because I think this is what where it's at. But you're taking it to the next level. Ultimately, what I've yeah, learned from—I'm oh, sorry. No, I, I was just going to add that uh, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, if you look at Missouri right now, we actually send more Republicans uh, to Jefferson City and to be a part of our supermajority here in Jefferson City in Missouri than they have in Florida, uh, than they have in Austin down in Texas. Mm. So every two years, the people of our state overwhelmingly embrace 
the Republican principle and brand of smaller, uh, less limited government. But the problem is that when we get out of campaign season, there's just far too many Republicans that are that just throw those all those campaign season uh, promises into the trash can. And we are left fighting a, a rear guard attrition war to force issues through the legislature that we promised we would do back when we were asking people for their votes. No, I, and I think I think, you know, th- this leads to, to, to your run for governor, because this is what we've lacked until now. We've never had governors. Um DeSantis is really the only one, and I'm going to say that very confidently. There's some that are better than others, and there's some that are worse, but the GOP House is pretty bad. GOP Senate is even worse, and the GOP governors are just awful. And the reason is, and I want to get your take on this with your run for governor. So you have the people of a red state believe one thing, and so therefore they campaign broadly on that rhetoric, and that's why we have that leverage over them if we only exerted it. But if you don't get on the playing field, on the other end you have – the healthcare cartel, I'm just picking one because they're often the biggest employer in the state. This gets back to DeSantis with Disney, not only not being cowered by the biggest employer, but totally going after them, standing up to them. The biggest employers in a given red state often overpower a small red state more than they would in New York, a California. And this is why I found, and, and I want to get your thoughts on this, how you're going to break through it. What I found is the three reasons why red states aren't red is because of corporate politics, federal funding, and then just the general political correctness, right? That, you know, so if something on social policy, they're just scared of being called racist or this or that. How do you break through that juggernaut, um, particularly the federal funding addiction and the corporate interests? Yes. So uh, actually, you made. Uh several great points here. Let me take them one at a time. Let's talk about the first problem uh, that you mentioned, uh, federal funding. Uh, Believe it or not, Missouri, 50% of our state budget comes from the federal government. That is a (laughs) higher percentage of a state budget than any other state in the union. I mean, think about that. A big red state like Missouri gets a bigger share of their budget from the federal government than the state of California, than the state of Illinois, than the state of New Jersey or New York. We are more dependent in the show me state on the federal government to pay our bills than any other state in the country. How That doesn't match at all with what we talk about in campaign season. And with the super majorities that we have and the Republican governor that we have, they have doubled the size of the state budget in the past seven years. In fact, our Republican governor and the supermajority of Republicans have increased spending more in Jefferson City than all the Democratic governors combined going back to the founding of the state relative to the past seven years. So it is a huge problem. And if you, if you have anybody that's a believer like I am and like I believe you are, the Tenth Amendment, when you're getting half of your money from somebody else, guess who's got the power in that relationship? <laughs> and that's where the federal government is today. So it's a huge problem in the state of Missouri. Let's talk about the second thing you mentioned, corporate influence. Well, when I talk about uh, all this big money coming from the federal government, or the, or the budget doubling, for every dollar that we spend, there's a corporate entity out there taking that dollar. So somebody's benefiting or profiting from every single dollar that we spend. And government now has become so big in the state of Missouri that the corporate interests around our state don't want to let it go. We're spending hundreds of millions of dollars for new parking lot stadiums at at our professional sports team stadiums. We're spending all sorts of earmarks around the state that are benefiting very few people, very big corporate special interests. I refer to the state budget in Missouri as making earmarks great again, right? I mean, it's it's crazy. Uh, and, And that is at odds with the message that the people of the state are embracing every two years on election day. So another big problem, right? And then uh, when we get back to the fact that uh, you know we're not doing and making good on these promises, your question, your final question is, what are we going to do about it? Well, under the Missouri Constitution, there's one individual that has more influence over the state budget than any other position. That's the governor. The governor recommends the budget. The governor has line item veto authority over the budget. The governor has withhold authority over the budget in the state of Missouri. So I'm fond of saying that there's only two objective ways to measure the size and scope of government. That's the number of tax dollars they spend on your behalf. And it's also uh, the number of lines of code that you and I have to comply with in order to stay out of jail. Well, by both of those measures, government's bigger than it's ever been before. And what would be better than a governor coming in the door in 2024 and saying, you know what, we're spending too much money. We're going to start reducing the amount of money that we're spending, and we're going to re- roll the, the massive surpluses that would ensue 
into a tax reform and tax cutting program that would put Missouri on even par with a state like Florida. You know, I, 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 I'm envisioning a Missouri where Ron DeSantis wakes up in the morning and turns on his TV and sees about the great things happening in the show. He <laughs> says, man, how do we be more like them? I, I want that kind of Missouri that's this national leader. And yes. I feel like for every day that the Republicans are not living up to what they said they would do, we're missing out on that future. I, I mean, and, and that's what I want people to, to, to understand. It doesn't have to be this way. I, I have found that the few times where I could get my colleagues to harness attention, or sometimes you could do it locally among the local conservative grassroots activism, it, it, it makes a difference. And, and, and that policies change. Uh, whereas, you know, I live in Maryland. I do want to move out soon there. I mean, there's nothing you can do. There's just nothing you can do. And that's why the blue red divide is important in the sense of knowing the potential that we're not uh, living up to. What about the healthcare cartel? I found that during COVID to be the reason why red states were nearly as bad as blue states um, they're bought into the vaccine agenda. You still have masking in hospitals in red states up the wazoo. Um, and, you know, they walk into the committee hearings with their lab coats and everyone respects them. They're often the largest employers in a given state. Um, I mean, that's really the linchpin to freedom. I mean, healthcare is the biggest sector yeah. of the economy. Uh, how do you change that in a state like Missouri? So, so the first thing that I would mention to you that we have we have the healthcare cartel represented in Missouri by an organization known as the Missouri Hospital Association. Yep. They're a member of the Missouri Chamber of Commerce. Uh, they play in almost every single legislative and statewide race in the state. They've already uh, endorsed my opponents uh, in the gubernatorial race. They benefit uh, billions of dollars for themselves and their, their clients, the other hospitals around the state every single year through basically a pyramid scheme that they've set up through the state budget where they tax the people a dollar and then they get two or three dollars back in reimbursements from the federal government. It's, it's, a, it's a great deal for them, terrible for the state of Missouri. So to your question, what do we do about them? Imagine if we had a governor that goes into the budget and starts lining out all those line items that they're, they're directly in, they're directly benefiting and profiting from. Now, to do that, you're going to have to have somebody that doesn't mind rubbing against the grain, right? You're going to have somebody that doesn't mind maybe slowing down the Senate when they don't want to pass something like initiative petition reform or they don't want to move that along. These are individuals that are spending millions of dollars in our races, and, and they overwhelm and create this bubble environment in the state capitals. And it's, it's, certainly it's happening in other state capitals, and certainly it's happening in the national capital because they want to protect the money that's coming their way. So I've made a living for the past seven years in the state Senate of being the person that has no problem being exactly who I promised in campaign season. And I will, I will get up early in the morning to kick over the apple carts that these folks, just like the Missouri Hospital Association, are profiting off the backs of Missouri and keeping Missouri one of the stagnating states that are falling behind the Floridas of this country in the first place. So it's, uh, you know, I, I have probably, I've put, I think I've put 55,000 miles on my truck now in the past 16 months talking to folks all over Missouri, and they're angry. The feedback they give me is they're angry. They're frustrated. They're aware that Republicans in Jefferson City aren't doing these big red Republican things, and they are sick and tired of knowing the name of the governor of Florida, even though no one in Florida has ever heard of the governor in the state of Missouri. <laughs> and, and my message to them, my message to them is, you know what? If you're angry and you're frustrated about all the things that are going on or not going on in your state capital, I want them to know you're not alone. There are millions of people in Missouri that are as frustrated and as angry and are suffering like you are. You're not alone. And in 2024, they're going to show up and do something that this, this status quo, this swamp in Jefferson City, they can't even imagine. They can't imagine that a guy like me or a group of patriots that are all over the state that showed up at the state capitol last week to support the Freedom Caucus just might change the state for the better and allow us to take our place as a leader in these United States. And, you know, we don't have to be my second message. We don't have to be afraid of these people. They're going to tell you, oh, Bill Eagle can't win. You can't have that better version of Missouri. We'll never be as good as the state of Florida or something else. Don't be afraid of that message. Don't buy into that message because that's their only message. They're desperate. They being the swamp, the Missouri Hospital Association, and all these other powerful special interests. The only way they win is if they can convince us to believe that very simple statement that you ought to be afraid and it's not worth fighting for. The people of Missouri don't buy into that all at all. 
That's why the swamp in Jefferson City, they're never going to see it coming. I mean, they're like barking dogs and, and everyone runs away. And and I think, you know, everyone always says Trump exposed the deep state of the left. And I think DeSantis exposed the deep state of the right that for years we yeah. all felt, oh, it just has to be this way. And he just punched through all the special interests. Again, they recommended uh, against the COVID shots. They banned mass mandates in hospitals. And and look, you know, they're going along with it now. Um you know, it's not like you had a weak healthcare cartel there in Florida, and that's the third largest state, tons of urban areas, um, mm-hmm. and and that was a swing state. You're a state where what? I mean, you tend to vote 110 out of 114 counties for Republican exactly. for president. It's one of the yes. you know most trending red states. You know, if you look kind of the last 15, 20 year window, we're underutilizing it. I have two issues I really wanted to uh, broach with you. I wish we left more time. So on illegal immigration, one of the things we're we're seeing Republicans do, they love Biden, 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 all the all the while forgetting that, well, you have your own sovereign red state and illegals don't stay at the border. They go to all the states and you could rid yourself of the problem in your state. So they're about to all go down to the border and have a, over the weekend, they're going to have a big uh, photo op with Greg Abbott. And, oh, yeah, look, look at what's going on. And then some are sending help, some aren't. Okay. But what no one's talking about is that if they can't get a job and get bennies and you criminalize every time you catch them, um, you criminalize either entering, being in the state, transporting, you know, Florida and Texas just passed some laws, then they won't come but none of these governors yeah. want to do it and you know exactly why because of the agricultural interests you have a state like missouri let's face it you got plenty of illegals working there it's not just a new york california problem and to a certain extent kind of like with green energy too it's actually even more concentrated in red states so how do you deal with this problem where the ag industry has acculturated these states to relying on that cheap labor and therefore as much as the Republicans and campaigns will yelp about, yeah, yeah, but the border needs to be secure, but they don't want to do anything to dissuade them from coming to the state. So, so let me, uh, first I want to make a clarification. When you say the ag industry, I think what you're really talking about is big agriculture industry, right? Right. The, the, The corporate agricultural industry, because certainly that's not what we're hearing from our small family farmers, right? That we're not hearing that at all, that they want to allow, uh, illegal immigrants to come into the state, uh, any state, and basically continue to destroy our sovereignty. You know, the invasion that's going on across our, our southern border is the destruction of the foundations of our republic. That is what's happening. So uh, it's funny that you mentioned criminalizing being the, uh, just being in the state illegally. I actually have sponsored that legislation in the Missouri Senate that would make it a crime, a state-level crime, not a federal crime, of course, a state-level crime to be in this state, uh, and it would empower our law enforcement and our National Guard to take uh, individuals into custody and remove them from the borders of our state. Now, the legislation is great, but I'll tell you, under Article 4 of the Missouri Constitution, the governor of our state already has the authority to declare an invasion Mm. and activate the resources of the National Guard and our, our Missouri Highway Patrol and other law enforcement to actually detain these individuals and remove them uh, from the borders of the state under the direction of the governor. And the real question is, why hasn't our governor, Mike Parson, done that? Yes. I can't answer that question for him, but I'm going to tell you what. On my first day as governor, we're declaring this for as an invasion under Article 4. We are going to deal with that. We're estimated to have tens of thousands of illegal immigrants already in the state of Missouri. More are coming through every day in our two urban centers of Kansas City and St. Louis. Also on my first day as governor, I'm going to sign an executive order tripling the highway patrol presence on the highways leading into and out of our urban areas. And we're going to start not just arresting folks for being here illegally, we're going to start arresting folks that are part of the human trafficking trade. We're going to start arresting folks that are part of the fentanyl trade. And the only thing that really is a blister in my mind is why aren't we doing that right now? And that is the that is the conversation that is causing so many folks to be upset with the status quo that is suffocating Missouri, and we are going to change this state for the better in just a few months. Wow. Now you're speaking my language because, again, this is not just a Texas authority. They don't stay in Texas. They come through there, but they come everywhere else. So the same authority under the compact clause that we're applying to Texas does apply to every other state. 
And and yeah, I mean the 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 traffickers. That's a big thing because um, what the Florida grand jury found is that, and we knew this, <laughs> a lot of these federally funded contractors are are part of that, and they're engaging in that, um, and and they need to be held accountable too. So we're going to see some good stuff coming out of there. But wouldn't it be nice? I mean, literally, Bill, it's eerie hearing you running for governor because on this show. Um, three years ago, Governor DeSantis said that he would actually work um, a state-based return to Mexico policy, but he said he had no other governors to work with, and and that's the problem. <laughs> None of them want to do it, so we got to add to our ranks. This is why it's important to go to Bill Eigel, uh, Bill E I G E L dot com. Uh, look, I wish I had more time, and I know I'm not doing you justice, but just to tease, you have legislation that I feel is a force multiplier might be the most important bill gaining traction in a lot of legislatures. I mean, not really, but introduced by good guys um, in terms of making gold and silver legal tender. So, you know, we talk about, we could, we could kick out illegals from a red state. If we tried, we could isolate ourselves culturally and, you know, kick out this entire, you know, degenerate agenda on the transgender stuff from a red state. And we should be doing that. Economically, we're attached to the hip, and this has always been the problem um, that the feds have the Federal Reserve, where it's just it's unlimited um, in terms of their growth of government, making us dependent on the you know where you have inflation, you have inflation everywhere. You know, inflation is certainly very bad in Florida as well. It's 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 you can't isolate yourself, and I feel like this is the first step to perhaps our only authority to fight back on that front as well. Describe your bill and its effects. Yes, absolutely. So at a basic level, what the bill does is it allows for gold and silver to be used as legal tender in the state of Missouri. So the effect of that is I think that everybody's very well aware, as you stated, of the problem of the inflationary policies of Washington, D.C. that is uh, inflating the dollar and effectively destroying uh, the fiat currency of the U.S. dollar. In the event that we lose our status as the reserve currency of the planet, the destruction of our economy uh, will likely commence. And so having a hedge like gold and silver that can be used as currency in a crisis or as just a store of wealth for right now for everyday citizens who are investing in gold and silver, I think makes absolutely sense. Also, as part of my bill is it requires the state to keep a certain small portion of its reserves in physical gold and silver so that if Washington, D.C., regardless of who is in charge in Washington, D.C., continues on their uh, efforts to just to destroy the national currency, the state of Missouri will have some reserves that it can deal uh, with the scenario that unfolds in that in that particular crisis. So it is something that I think uh, is also a hedge against the, these moves towards these digital currencies. You know, there are a lot of global actors that want to see uh, nations that go to an all digital currency. And of course, that's about control, right? That's about control because if they have all your assets in a digital sense, they could control that. So always having the option for physical gold and silver, I think makes tremendous sense. Only a couple states have done it so far. I'd really like to see Missouri become one of the first states, maybe the one in the first half dozen states that adopt gold and silver as, as an official form of currency in the state. And I think that puts us on a much better footing uh, in the event that things continue to deteriorate in Washington, D.C. No, very well said. And that's something I definitely want to focus on in the future and how we could expand that where people have accounts where they could actually draw against that to pay for things with a with a debit mm-hmm. card. So literally hedges against inflation. But it's also, to me, the fulcrum of freedom um, from the federal Leviathan. It takes the game away from them. And uh, that's that's the only leverage that I think states could really have over the economy other than just rejecting federal funding, which is increasingly harder. Um, again, this is very, very important. Thanks for coming on today. BillEigel.com, um, at BillEigel on Twitter. Uh, it's an August primary, right? August primary. So we've got, a, we've got a bit of work to do between now and then. Yeah, but still not a lot of time. One of the later primaries, but again possibly the best opportunity to get another all-star governor. Uh, Keep giving them hell in Jefferson City and uh, definitely keep us updated on what's going on. Will do. Daniel, thanks so much for having me. I look forward to talking to you real soon. God bless. So folks, again, State Senator Bill Eigel from the western suburbs of St. Louis, um, Air Force veteran, Freedom Caucus founder, 
I mean, just lead fighter there. It doesn't get any better than that. I'm going to have different candidates on, and some I'm going to feel stronger about than others. Like I told you, recruitment's not easy. Sometimes you get someone better, but they're a little flaky. Uh, or they're good, but not so hardcore. Or if they're hardcore, they're just, they don't present themselves well. They don't know the issues so well. This guy's raising money. He's articulate. He's smart. I mean, this is this is the dream candidate. A guy, you know, because anyone could just come along and, and just dish out the stuff. But a guy who actually is in the legislature as a member of the Freedom Caucus doing that, that is going to be your tier one recruitment. Um, and again, open governorship. I, I, there, we don't have too many others in red states. I mean, we have North Dakota, and so far we don't have a recruit. This might be the only one. So let's put our money where our mouth is, BillIgle.com, and just know it doesn't have to be this way. Just know that I've experienced people roughly like Bill over the last 15 years that I tried to get elected, and we slept through it. Oh, Daniel, but he can't win a general. No, no, no. Oh, these are deep red states. I'm not even getting into the debate over who could win in a swing state or whatever. These guys, they will win the general election. And we sleep through the primaries. <laughs> Again, look at what DeSantis has done. Imagine if we have five more of those. What the country would look like. We could have easily gotten that. But nobody else seems to care. But we do here. And that's why I need your support. Send this to any one of your friends and relatives, neighbors, coworkers. This is a show like none other. It's not just a show, it's a movement. Till tomorrow, God bless y'all, and thank you for listening.